boy, I tell you, I am ready to burst. So much on my heart to share. Glad I get to do it today on The Line of Fire. It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown, your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Michael Brown is the director of the Coalition of Conscience and president of Fire School of Ministry. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Hey, I just want to give a heads up. I am going to continue to weigh in on politics. I'm going to continue to weigh in on moral and cultural issues. I'm going to continue to weigh in on the intersection of faith and culture and society and America and the nations. And I don't plan on stopping anytime soon. In fact, I don't plan on stopping as long as I have breath. Welcome to the line of fire. This is Michael Brown. I am delighted to be with you today. The number to call to weigh in, 866-348-7884. I took no calls yesterday, but if you want to interact with what I had to share yesterday and ways to hear each other out and to come together as one in the midst of a volatile time in our history, if you'd like to weigh in, if you want to agree with me, differ with me, give me a call, 866-348-7884. And if you think that Christian leaders have no business Getting involved in political issues or social or moral issues, you just think it clouds our witness or it clouds our gospel message, then give me a call, 866-348-7884. I tweeted out earlier today, for every one Christian who tells me to stay out of political commentary, 10 thank me for what I'm doing. It's probably not 10, it's probably a whole lot more. Oh, I listen to those who say, well, you shouldn't be making these comments, or it's not your calling, or you're wrong, or it gets in the way of your gospel ministry or witness. I, I listen, I hear what they're saying, I weigh it, and if I believe it's wrong, I dismiss it. And when I hear the same thing over and again, I don't need to weigh it as carefully, especially when I hear overwhelmingly from the other side over and over again, and more importantly, feel before the Lord, and based on the word, that this is the right thing to do. Let me just give you an example. And, and I, I urge every pastor, every Christian leader who has a platform, I urge every one of you to please hear me for a moment. I understand that it gets messy when we identify with a political party. And now the moment you think follower of Jesus, you think Republican or Democrat or Libertarian or whatever. I understand that that can now muddy the waters. And now we are identified with the party, and therefore the gospel is identified with the party, and the gospel transcends party. We understand that. And I also understand how volatile it can get when we endorse a candidate. Again, uh, I did endorse Senator Cruz earlier on. I don't know that I'll endorse another candidate, not because of anything wrong that he did. I just don't know that I'll do that again. I wrote about that. Just check out my digital library. Go to thelineoffire.org and just search on the digital, digital library for endorse, and you'll, you'll see that discussion. But, but if we do not address the issues of politics from the pulpit, if we do not address the cultural and moral issues from the pulpit, then the people that we serve are not being properly equipped by us, by you and I, who are called to equip them. So I, I spoke uh, Saturday in the Bay Area 
of California, about a half hour out of San Francisco, to a congregation, uh, largely Hispanic uh, and white, two congregations coming together, Asian Americans there, other uh, some others there, African Americans, but predominantly Hispanic, if, if there's any one group there. And they had asked me to speak about can you be gay and Christian and how do we deal with the issues in society. And I spoke about all these things, talked about what was happening in society, answered questions. Sunday on the way in to preach, a Hispanic gentleman came up to me and he said, you know, my brother is, is married to his gay partner. He said, now I know how to minister to him. Friends, this is the world we live in. And the gospel is relevant for every single situation in which we find ourselves. Are we going to bring a message that doesn't become relevant by being worldly, but relevant by being gospel? Will we do it? It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown, your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. There were a lot of factors, voter suppression, inequality, apathy, and working class anger, all issues we must confront in the years ahead. That's the voice of Al Sharpton, and wherever there is injustice, let us confront it together. And where there is race baiting, let us confront that together. I have heard from so many African Americans over the years who have shouted to me, Al Sharpton and Jesse Jackson, do not speak for us. And trust me, I make an immediate distinction between the voice of Al Sharpton And the voice of African-Americans, where he does speak for African-Americans, fine. Where he doesn't, I absolutely am not going to paint with a broad brush. Certainly he does not speak for the vast majority of those who've called in or who have weighed in as African-Americans on social media. But friends, I am going to speak up about the race baiting that is taking place. Has Donald Trump said things that concern African-Americans and Hispanic Americans and Muslim Americans. Yes, yes. I had a great dialogue with a Hispanic pastor, a Mexican-American pastor, Saturday. And that's reflected in an article that I wrote where I address these things. I wrote that over the weekend. Uh, yes, I've heard from many African-American callers who shared that when they hear Donald Trump talk about being a law and order candidate, the concerns that that raises. And obviously the concerns of Muslim Americans. I understand that. I understand that. And I've heard from enough women, including my own wife, to understand how how deeply offensive Donald Trump's comments about women have been, not just in the more distant past, but even during the campaign. I understand all that. I I understand why his appointment of, of Steve Bannon can be controversial, although it appears that that the the charges against him are highly exaggerated still i understand why he can be associated with with a a strong right wing nationalistic american view that that in, can go with some the way of white supremacy although i i believe he's falsely accused of that himself i understand all that i understand that and I've addressed it, and we've talked about it at length on the broadcast, and, and, and you, my dear listeners, have been such a godsend weighing in with, with wisdom and with truth and with, 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 with reasoned responses. And, and at the same time, 
I've had it with the race baby. No, it's only begin. It is only beginning. But the the vote for Donald Trump to be president was not a vote based on whiteness. It was not any more that I'm going to say that the vote for Barack Obama was a vote for blackness or any more that I'm going to say that that blacks who voted against Trump were voting against him because of his skin color or whites who didn't vote for Obama were voting against him because of his skin color. Were there some? Yes, but that's on all sides. There are many who won't vote for women, women who won't vote for men, minorities who won't vote for main, uh, for, for non-minority candidates, and, and vice versa. We understand that. But there's race baiting taking place. There, there is, there is all types of, of provocatory rhetoric taking place. And come on, with the protests, yes, people have a right to demonstrate. And yes, people have a right to be concerned. And let Donald Trump prove that he'll be the president of all Americans. Let him do that. And and yes, he's going to take stands that are going to upset Americans. I, I hope before God that he will, in fact, act to defund Planned Parenthood. Yes, I deeply hope so. And I do hope that he will appoint the pro-life justices and nominate them that he's promised to do from his list of, of 20. And is there more justices needed if that list expands? Fine, but let it remain representative. Yes, people will be upset. And yes, I hope he strengthens our border security while being fair to immigrants that have been here for years and who are law-abiding. I I hope he does that and then has some moderation and reform in his immigration policy that will be more compassionate while also being safe for our borders. He's going to do things that are going to upset people, just as Barack Obama's policies upset people and George Bush's policies. Every every president's going to upset some people. But I hope he proves himself to be a president for all Americans. In other words, that that he will not govern as a racist or as a misogynist or as a, a xenophobe or anything else. Okay, that's my hope. And I do believe that that a lot of the concerns are his own responsibility because he he used uh, rhetoric that was unhelpful. And I believe a lot of the concerns are being whipped up by the media that so opposed him. And I believe a lot of the concerns are being whipped up by people who just like to whip things up. There seems to be good evidence that many of the protesters are being paid to protest. There is increasing anecdotal and even survey evidence, as people are being spoken to, that many of those protesting didn't even bother to vote. I mean, this is the ultimate abdication of responsibility. This is the ultimate uh, abdication of of maturity you didn't vote now you're going to protest the way the vote turned out if you voted it might have turned out differently and the way our system works everybody loses by the millions in every presidential election and you have to just accept it you know how militantly i opposed president obama's views on abortion and homosexuality which i knew before he was elected you know what i did the first day he was elected I opened up the phones for callers to celebrate the first black American president we had and to say, look, I have concerns. I'm praying for him, but I realized that this was still a great moment in our history and a a, a symbol of repentance in our history and a symbol of hope to African-Americans. That's what I did the first day. And I've always addressed him as my president. And someone said, why do you call him Mr. Obama? I do that out of respect 
Uh, normally, we just refer to last names Trump, Obama, or, or Hillary to separate her from, from Bill Clinton. And, and, of course, we still do that at, at times in our speaking and writing. But my father, when he would speak of the president, would speak of the president as Mr. And to me that he did that, I know I did it as a matter of respect. Mr. Johnson, Mr. Kennedy, that's how he'd speak of them. Even if he didn't agree with the politics, that's how he would speak of them. So I've always referred to him in that term, and I've always said he's our president. And I'm praying that he'll be the greatest president we've ever had, but I have grave concerns. Now I'm praying that for Donald Trump, that he'll be the greatest president we've ever had. I have some hope in some areas and some real concerns in others. But I will call out the race baiting. I will call out the unequal weights and measures. Uh, David Jaroslav said this, and I believe it was Ben Shapiro who uh, who retweeted it. You know, there's been this whole mantra, love trumps hate. And David Jaroslav uh, remarked, love trumping hate involves a lot more assault in our sin than I expected. And, and, and look, when someone is going to call me a racist, because I voted for Donald Trump after much prayer, after much reflection, with many concerns, with many caveats. They're going to call me a racist. That's racist. That's racist. And when someone now wants me to explain everything that, quote, my candidate does, what I, what I said to the day of the elections, if you don't, if you can't vote for Donald Trump, I understand that. I respect that. I just want to urge you not to vote for Hillary Clinton. I never went out and said to anyone, vote for Donald Trump. Not once. Not once. And now he's, quote, my candidate. And I have to defend everything he says or does. Read my article as to why I voted from It's all on our digital library, lineoffire.org. By the way, we just added, we just added to the digital library a video I did on interracial marriage. Is it banned biblically? So check that out. Just just look on our digital library again. Go to thelineoffire.org, click on digital library, and you'll see it there. Uh, listen, friends, when people cannot see their own blind spots, when they don't step back and listen, I have asked honest questions because they're things I don't see because of my own background or my own perspective or my own worldview or my own upbringing or the environment in which I am or the, in which I travel or, or the, 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 the circle of friends that I have, whatever it is. And, and so many people have helped me. Comments to, to things I've posted, responses to polls I've given, and in particular calls to the radio show. You have helped me so much identify blind spots. I, I may have known I had them, but I didn't know what they were until they got filled in. You follow me? In other words, I knew I didn't have the full perspective on something, but I didn't know what I was missing in, until you helped me. And then I turned around and said, let me help you see your blind spot, and someone reacts. That That's what bothers me, not in the fleshly way, but now I can't help you. Now you're looking through such bias that I'm the only one who has a blind spot. No, we all do. It is the nature of being human beings. It's the beauty of marriage and a man and woman coming together and raising a family together. It's the beauty of being part of a team. It's the beauty of, of plurality. It's the beauty of, of listening to one another in a family and a body. Because no one has a perfect perspective on everything except God himself. And we do our best to bow low before him and to be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. But friends, there's a lot of junk going on and we need to address it. Some of these protesters need to grow up, take responsibility and say we lost 
If we don't like what's happening, then let's work constructively to bring about change. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. We can't call for people to be peaceful when the rhetoric that has been used is not peaceful, uh, when people don't feel peaceful in their homes. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think that is a point well taken. Things are going to start with the condition of our own heart. But, but I want you to just hear a clip, then I want to go to your calls. I'm constantly hearing in the news about acts of violence by followers of Donald Trump or, or threats by followers of Donald Trump and how people are afraid. Again, I understand there are comments he made, rhetoric from, from our president-elect that concerns many. I understand that. I understand you have unsavory characters following him, just like you have unsavory characters following every major politician. I understand that. But what I don't get is, is why something is only wrong and worthy of being called out if certain people are victims. So, so listen to this. This is uh, clip number three. Uh, Demo- uh, Democratic strategist is, is mocking a Trump supporter for getting beat up because the Trump supporter is white. Listen, listen to this. What I heard is both people on both sides should just cut it all out. And a hate crime is not the same thing as protesting. We have to be very deliberate about and that. And what, what do you say to the people who, are, who dragged a poor white guy out of a car and beat him? Oh, my goodness, poor Trump. white people, please. Oh my, stop. Stop it, Carl. What I say to people that protest is that, first of all, apparently there has That's never been protesting. an acceptable... Dragging Hold somebody on, out of me, their car and beating Pardon me, there has protesting. never been an acceptable form of protest. What I'm saying is I am calling for people to be peaceful. I think protesting is a right. It is what this country was founded on. We got this country via mm-hmm. protest, actually. But it's never okay to use violence. But we can't keep calling for people well, you and I to be peaceful. We can't call for people to be peaceful when the rhetoric that has been used is not peaceful, uh, when people don't feel peaceful in their homes. Oh, right, right. Good as far as the final comments, but don't give me this poor white people stuff. Don't give me that. I don't, I don't care if there are a thousand white people for every Hispanic or every black person on the planet. Okay. If a gang of Hispanics or a gang of blacks beats up a white person for no good reason, you don't mock that. And the same way, if there are a thousand blacks or a thousand Hispanics for every white person and a gang of whites beat up a Hispanic person or beat up a black person, you don't mock that because they're in the majority. And this is the unequal junk that bothers me so much. By God's grace, I'm going to do my best to be an equal opportunity offender. In other words, I'm not concerned with who gets upset with what I say. I want to do my best to speak the truth. And, and where I'm missing something, I'm going to invite others to call in and share the truth so we can hear it together. But we got to face up to the race baiting and the, this whole idea that if you're in the majority, you can't be racist. That's nonsense. That's someone's definition put on it to exclude wrong attitudes from others. Wherever, and look, as far as believers in Jesus around the world, we're the persecuted ones. We're the ones being beaten down. How about this? How about Sudanese Christians celebrating the election of Donald Trump? Because they believe that if Hillary Clinton was elected, that it would mean further persecution from the Muslim majority there. 
and that the American administration would go easy on them, and they are rejoicing. How about a South African Christian woman that, that sent me a note today thrilled with the Trump election because they were afraid as South African Christians with, as a black woman, these are blacks in Sudan, with what was coming their way if Hillary Clinton was elected. Does that mean nothing? Does that mean nothing? So, so, so please, we've got to be consistent. We, we've got to be righteous. And that means that Everybody's going to get offended one way or another in the flesh, but hopefully, hopefully, we can step higher and be mature, and the church can do better than the world. Do we have to bite and devour each other the way we do? Listen, if you ended up voting for Hillary Clinton, you prayed about it, you thought about it, you heard me out, you heard out others, I I hate the fact you did it, but I respect you. I respect you. I'm not going to brand you, you know, an anti-white person or I'm not going to. No, I'm not going to brand you a baby killer. I I believe is wrong. You might believe it's wrong for you to vote for Donald Trump. That's fine. I fully respect that. And I respect you for different. Did we do our best? Did we all do our best? Did we all wrestle with this? Did we all think hard about it? Maybe some of you at, at the voting booth, you're like, do I, don't I, do I, don't I, do I, don't I? Let's respect that. And now let's move forward with mutual respect in the midst of our differences. We've got to. 866-34-TRUTH. Let's go to, all right, let's go to Joe and you. Whoa, everybody's here a moment to go. Uh, let's go to Roy in Queens. Welcome to the line of fire. It's Ray. Uh, Ray, sorry about that. Michael. Yeah, That's sorry about that. Right. That's quite all right. No, I just wanted to bring the thought of Jesus in Matthew 10, 20, uh, 12, 25, that said, Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined. Every city, household divided against itself will not stand. We must recognize that this is what is, what is happening. You know, the country is being hijacked, and, it's, you know, we are being brought in all kinds of divisions, socioeconomical, racial, you know, women against men. She wanted to be the first woman, and, and, and I believe to um, undermine men, that was the goal. Um, you know, uh, the, the, the sexual, even you know, uh, gender, you know, deal uh, in every in every in every way. I see it, and 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 we must to have that Jesus re- Jesus revolution, you know, um, because otherwise we're doomed. I do believe. Yes, sir. Uh, you, you, every word you said, yes, sir. And this whole divide and conquer mentality. Uh, look, from day one, it offended me when I took issue with candidate Barack Obama. And, and now, now I'm told that I'm bringing up race all the time when, when race was the last thing on my mind, when to the contrary, race was on my mind and that I wanted to be able to vote for a first African American president, but I couldn't in good conscience. I went out of, I would have gladly voted for a, a strong conservative a woman, if she was running against a, a liberal Democrat, I would have gladly done it. But now, if you don't vote for Hillary, it's sexist. If you didn't vote for Obama, it was racist. And and on and on it goes. And all that does is destroys. And and yes, sir, you're 100% right. The solution is a Jesus revolution. That's why, friends, for years, you hear me introduced every day on the air as your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution that's why we give ourselves to it thank you sir we must bow down before the lord we must settle our hearts and we must go about the business of changing the world by being disciples and making disciples
Thank you. Hey, a reminder. We didn't plan on doing this, but we had such an amazing response to the new book, Breaking the Stronghold of Food. I sat with a leader over the weekend, and he said, I need your book. I need your book. It's been a lifelong issue for me, food problems, food addictions. A young lady came up to me, petite. Uh, she said, I need your book. She said, I have a real issue with food. I said, you know, look, she said, I have a real issue with food. Friends, I believe this book is going to make the difference between life and death, literally, in many lives, breaking the stronghold of food. Nancy and I wrote it together, how we conquered food addictions and discovered a whole new way of living. You can pre-order it. It's a collector's edition signed by Nancy and me and numbered and get it in time for Christmas. But you've got to order it soon. Go to thelineoffire.org. It's released to the public January 3rd. A special pre-order you can do with us. Go to thelineoffire.org. It's The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. In general, I think that it's a call to arms. I think it's an open declaration of war. Trump's presidency will cause a divide within the country. I think it already started, especially racially. I think it's just going to give us a reason to be more divisive from each other. Trump being elected as president pushes black people or African Americans to come together to um, really learn about history. I'm really afraid that Trump and a Republican Congress are going to undo a lot of the judicial work that's been done over the last eight years with regards to the rights and privileges of queer people. What this election means for black people is that we have to become a lot more unified now. Right now, the focus needs to be on getting people to vote in midterms, to vote habitually, to vote like their life depends on it, because as this election proves, it actually does. All right, those were students from Howard University responding to the election results. And Howard University is 91% black. I, I like the way they're speaking in terms of this is not some yelling, screaming protest, be it white, Hispanic, black, Asian, whatever. Uh, it's people talking rationally, people talking as, as university students should. All right. Uh, the student population Interestingly, 40% male, 60% female. That, that might reflect other schools as well, which I think are majority female, uh, other major universities. But uh, the only concerns I have, I'd I like the call to vote in the midterm elections, to, to study history more, to understand these issues more. Uh, but my only concern is that truth is understood today, that these students have the integrity uh, to study the issues out, to understand the issues and not just listen to sound bites. This is for every color, every background, but especially young people. Uh, so, yeah, this is the way you respond. You think it through, and now you vote in the next election, and you call your elected officials to account. Uh, are there things that I want to see undone that have been done under the Obama administration? Absolutely. Does that mean that people are left without health care? No, it means that we have a better system uh, that uh, that that. We have a better system for health care for all Americans. Uh, I don't know what that is. <laughs> Obviously, if it was that easy uh, not to crack, uh, it would have been cracked a while ago. And this is not an area where I have any expertise. So do I have problems 
with the president's, President Obama's Affordable Health Care Act, Obamacare? Yes, as do many Americans and as do many doctors as I've spoken with. But yes, we, we need to come up with something better. And as far as things like uh, redefining marriage, I'd love to see that overturned, although that has never been something in a major way in Donald Trump's agenda. So although I was disappointed with him saying, yes, we want to overturn Roe v. Wade, but no, same-sex marriage, that's settled law. I was disappointed with him saying that Sunday night. I wasn't surprised. I was not the least bit surprised because he's, look, at the Republican convention. He had uh, Peter Thiel on and and uh, one of the heads of, of PayPal. And he's openly and proudly gay and said so in his, in his speech, uh, to, uh, uh at, at the RNC. So, <clears throat> the, the, uh, the notion that, you know, when he's constantly accused of being a homophobe and the, and, and, and the most dangerous anti-LGBT candidate in American history, it sounds like a lot of rhetoric because he's never been that strong on these issues. Cer- certainly, he didn't have my confidence coming in that he was going to be strong on this. This is something I'm hoping that godly people can influence him on. And if he does appoint pro-life justices, strong constitutionalists who believe in the language and meaning of our Constitution, justices in the image of Scalia, uh, if he appoints them, they're nominated and appointed to the Supreme Court, then I believe that they will rule the right way when it comes to religious liberty, which he says is important to him as well, and when it comes to issues of gay activism. At the same time, we don't want to see any group be an oppressed group within society that are subject to hatred or violence. God forbid. God forbid. But let's be informed on the issues. And then, yeah, let's vote aggressively. Write your calls when we come back. It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. One of the groups that's uh, expressing fear is the LBGTQ group. Um, you and yet have... I mentioned them at the Republican National Convention. And did. everybody said, that was so great. Um, I have been... You know, I've been a, a supporter. All right, that was Donald Trump speaking with Leslie Stahl on 60 Minutes uh, on Sunday. And I was, I was not one of those who thought it was so great to have an openly gay man as an openly gay man speaking at the Republican National Convention. But if you, you want to look at someone being inclusive, you got Donald Trump with extreme conservatives on his uh, team now. And and openly gay activists on his team, and women, and minorities. <clears throat> and anyway, anyway, that's that's another subject. You can read my latest article on that, where I deal with Donald Trump's same-sex marriage and the church. Again, just go to thelineoffire.org, 866-348-7884. Let's go to Laura in Hudson Valley. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Hello. Uh, thank you so much for having this conversation. Um, I want to quote Dr. Martin Luther King. He said, history will have to record 
that the greatest tragedy of this period of social transition was not the strident clamor of bad people, of the bad people, but the appalling silence of the good people. Mm. And what I'm saying is that um, Donald Trump is Donald Trump. I'm a New Yorker also, and he's a, he's a brilliant businessman, and he is just that. He's a businessman. All right. What is appalling, what is uh, making us, giving us pause as minority people, and I'm sure not just minority people, a lot of people all over the world, is that America is founded on biblical Christian um, principles. All right, and Jesus taught that there is no more Jews and Greek or anything like that. We're all one. We're all equal. This is the teaching that we were founded on. So we don't need to take one step forward and three steps backwards. So now you have even the little kids in the high schools. They're fighting. They're, they're doing racial slurs. They're doing all of this stuff back and forth. What you were saying about the um, the gay, lesbian, stuff like that, that's not in line with biblical principles. I, I expected a Republican candidate to definitely address that. I'm, yep. I'm sorry that he's not addressing that. I think he really should, you know, and abortion and all of that. But, you know, we go back and forth, party to party, Democrat, Republican. The thing about this is this is a little different. This is not just we're just changing party. The, ide- the, the ideology that we're hearing is akin to stuff that we heard from uh, Hitler in Germany. Yeah, so give me that, give me an example of the ideology that you're hearing that, that concerns you the most. All right. So one of the things is that uh, he's saying that he's building a wall, right? And, yeah, you can build a wall, all right? And Mexicans are this and they're that. There's so many. This may, I, we don't have time on the show for me to go through it. Everyone has heard it. But the point is, it, it's not even that much him. Because that's his personality. This is America. You have freedom of speech. You can say what you want. All right. But what it looks like is that a lot of people that are supporting the things that he's saying, that everyone is listening to and say, oh, my goodness, that's great. How, why, how, how could anyone say that? But the people that are supporting, the multitudes that are supporting that, are looking like, are, are, are you a closet racist? Are you really, do you really feel what he feel, he, what he's saying? He just has the guts to say it? Is that what's going on? Or, you know, and, you know, if so, then we need to do some self-seeking and heart-searching and praying and asking God to bring us back together as a people because together we stand, but divided, we get, we already fought yeah. the Civil War. You know, we so, don't need to go back there. <laughs> yep, got it, got it. Hey, listen, Laura, I, I appreciate what you're saying, starting with the quote from, from Dr. King and, and our responsibility as believers. But but let me let me turn this around for a second. And you, you've got such a great spirit about about what you're saying. Let me turn this around. Thanks. You have millions of people who voted for Donald Trump that don't have a racist bone in their body, that just don't like the way the country's going, think we're getting weak uh, nationally, internationally. We're hurting ourselves. Uh, they believe that we have got a great heritage that we're that we're losing. And when they hear you compare uh, comments from Donald Trump or some of his followers to Hitler, that is, that's ter- terribly insulting to them and terribly divisive. And they're thinking, what, what in the world are you talking about? Hitler was a madman who slaughtered Jews and, and others. All we want is to see a strong country that's going to be good for every American. 
and keep the bad guys out so that we can have a, a, a good, healthy country. So can you understand how how the the rhetoric can fly both ways and can cause all kinds of offense and misunderstanding? Absolutely, absolutely. But what I would say to them, and, you know, because I have a lot of, I, I've heard a lot of uh, preachers, and I'm a missionary myself, and I've heard a lot of preachers saying, vote the Bible, vote the Bible, right? Vote the Bible doesn't translate Donald Trump. How Donald Trump ended up being the standard bearer for the Republican Party, I don't know, because they were there were several candidates that were running that would be akin to voting the Bible, but Donald Trump is not one. Yep. And so when what you said about and I was just watching about the third when they started when Hitler started he didn't start out say oh I'm going to slaughter all these Jews he didn't start out like that he started out we're getting our country back we're going to make Germany great again and these other people they are the um the weak link you know it was like saying they're the weak link. So we got to give it all the weak links, you know, and Germany is going to be wonderful and blah, 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 blah. That's how right. it started. Right. And, and then it went into something else. Yeah. So and that's now, that we yeah, can look at. Yeah. And by the way, if you will look at a lot of what Hitler believed early on, it just wasn't as public, but it was radical and deadly and extreme. And then the more power he had, the more he, he, he came forward. It. So it, it's yeah. interesting. Nancy and I, my wife and I, just last night uh, had a conversation about Hitler and Germany. And I had, I've been reading uh, more about this, again, just for, for whatever reason, happen to, to be reading about this. And I realize that when a country leers left, it can easily go the way of socialism, communism, and other destructive movements. And, and certainly the more that we heard from, from candidates like Bernie Sanders and the more that we watched the direction of some parts of the Democratic Party, you think, yeah, that's it easily go that way. And with that, the the oppression of, of rights and freedoms and the attack on 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 family and things like that. Then on the flip side, uh, in, in the flip side, when a country leans right, it could go the way of of. You know, uh, you know, Nazi is short for a national, right? It's the the, the national party, yeah, right? I'm so you can America's you can right. And, but look, I want to talk about all of America, right? We right. Want, so, we, we, first of all, we don't feel that America never was not great. America is great, all right. But when he says, "I'm gonna make America great again," it is like that is cold word for everybody that's not in a certain demographic. That's not you. Right, we but see, right. We get rid of all of the weak links. Ah, okay, so that's right. That's how, right. So here's, here's where I understand why you have the concern, right? I understand why you say that. And you're not, you're not screaming, jumping up and down. You're, you're saying it in a, you know, in a, in a, in a reasoned way. All right. And, and obviously no history. Uh, so I understand where you're coming from, but I don't take Trump to mean any of that. I don't take him to mean any of that. If he meant any of that, I wouldn't have voted for him. And that's what, obviously, we have to, to watch and see as it, as it happens, but we have to be constructive. If I thought that Donald Trump was suggesting any of that, I, I couldn't have voted for him. And, and your point about vote the Bible, how do you end up voting for Donald Trump? Well, obviously, I so say you couldn't possibly vote for Hillary Clinton because, you know, the Democrat Party is, is part and parcel to the, to the willing slaughter of millions of, of unborn babies. And and many others around the world have suffered because of policies of of the Democrats and even under Barack Obama. Sad to say, 
so I couldn't vote possibly for Hillary Clinton and her radical anti-family views and radical uh, gay activist views and even anti-religious liberty views. Couldn't possibly vote for her. How could I then vote for Donald Trump? It's only because I, I saw God doing something different through him. Yes, to be a divine wrecking ball to PC correctness. Look at all the junk that's been exposed. And a lot of junk's been exposed right within the church as well. And then I know that he has godly people near him, that he's asking him, keep speaking into my life. Keep speaking into my life. And uh, I'm hoping that he'll do the right thing and that there'll be divine restraint around him, that he'll, he'll bring the right people into key positions in his administration. So I do see how a country could go, the extreme swing right, and we're going to take our country back. And, and, and that means the ones that don't fit in our mold out with them. I don't believe that's Donald Trump's intent or where things will go. But I, I understand where you're coming from. I genuinely do. By the way, I was asked uh, about Ben Carson and uh, why Dr. Carson has said he doesn't want to serve in an official place of the administration. He said he doesn't have government experience. He doesn't want to hinder. He wants to be in an advisory role, but he has no government job experience. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into the Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. You may have heard me share the story before. Uh, If not, let me do it again. Uh, Joke my dad told me when I was a boy, there was a man with a terrible stuttering problem, a Jewish man, and he went with his Jewish friend, and he said, I'm going to apply for this job as a radio announcer. So, of course, he stutters his whole way through that. And by the way, this is not a demeaning joke on stutterers. God God forbid. Uh, You'll understand where it's going in a moment. And he comes out of the interview, and his friend says, how did you do? And the guy stutters his way through saying uh, they don't like Jews. In other words, the guy thought that he didn't get the job because he was Jewish. No, he didn't get the job as a radio announcer because he was a terrible stutterer. So many times we can do that. We Jews can project something that's not there. It's easy for others to do that if you've had a history of being oppressed or being put down or you hear certain language as coded. I understand that. I'm sympathetic to that. But I want to respond rightly, not based on perception. So uh, listen to what Charles Krauthammer has to say. Clip number seven. Uh, he's talking about the legacy of our president, who, from what I can understand, on a personal level, remained popular with many Americans, but they did not like his policies or the direction of the nation. Because you have to remember, it's not just this overwhelming vote um, or a shocking vote, a political revolution, of some have called it, with Donald Trump defeating Hillary Clinton. But across the country, there were Republican wins, increase in governorships and, and houses controlled, so that the, the, the large majority of American states now have a Republican-dominated uh, setting with, with both houses and with, with uh, governor being Republican and hardly any Democrat. So there was a pushback against a larger agenda. It had nothing to do with race. It had nothing to do with race. So listen to what Krauthammer had to say. 
historians are going to see him as a textbook de definition of a guy who won on hope and change, who won with a wave of goodwill, and who completely destroyed his presidency with liberal overreach, beginning with Obamacare. And this is a rejection of ideology, unless the Democrats understand that. If they go left to a Sanders or a Warren in the future, they are not going to survive as a party. Yeah, and look, right now they're discussing the possibility of appointing Congressman Keith Ellison as the party chair. He's a Muslim. Does, does it mean you can't have a Muslim in that position? No, but he's a Muslim who said some pretty radical things in the past. Ironically, the media is flipping out, flipping out over Donald Trump appointing controversial journalist or editor, Breitbart editor Steve Bannon, into a high-level position in his administration, at least his transition team, uh, flipping out over that. Why aren't they flipping out over the possibility of Keith Ellison being the party chair of the Democrats? And why weren't they flipping out over Huma Abedin, who is Hillary Clinton's right-hand gal for years? From what I understand, Huma only worked for her her entire adult life. It's the only uh, job she had was working for Hillary Clinton. And she and her family had clear ties to Muslim Brotherhood or, or other radical groups like that. Where is the outrage? That's what keeps getting me. It's the selective outrage. And then it's the, the unwillingness to deal with reality. This, this was not a mandate on race. This was not a mandate on sex. This was a mandate on policies and the direction of the nation. It was. 866-34-TRUTH. Uh, we go to Sid in Montgomery County, Maryland. Welcome to the line of fire. Hi, uh, good afternoon, Doctor Doctor um, Doctor Brown. I just want to weigh in because I know um, I read uh, on the Christian Post. I think it was this weekend or yesterday, whatever. We had an article by like Kirk Franklin and and even um, the statements he had made, and also to like Yolanda Adams, you know, who's a, and I was outraged. I'm a Black American, okay, and I was thinking, you know, look at the hypocrisy because. For eight years, Barack Obama was in office, who was a tall radical, who is a student, along with Hillary Clinton, student of Saul Alinsky, who was going to transform or destroy America, and they said nothing. They were silent. And I see the hypocrisy of the black church in America, and we wonder why people do not want to go to church and why they find the hypocrisy and all the, the, the wickedness in, in God's church. This is, this is a church, this, this is a, 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 a matter of the church, because this mess wouldn't happen if the church was being the church. And from what they were saying, that is not God, that is not Christ. You know, they need to get back to the Bible. So that's why I was outraged by that, because they should have spoke up when Barack Obama was doing all this evil stuff that he was pushing, like uh, like sodomy, you know, and and, and 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 taking the White House and leading it up in 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 in, in, in homosexual uh, 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 colors, you know, and also to silence when when Christians are persecuted, and it goes on and on and on. They were silent and didn't say it word, but now they're going to say something without. I I'm not a supporter of Donald Trump, number one. But I'm just saying, we need to have truth, and we need to we need to be ones who are speaking truth. God is a God of truth, and we shouldn't have double standards here. 
and, was, and, and, and I'm just sick and tired of it. I'm sick and tired of the church in America because they have not been what God has called to be the church. And they need to repent. The whole church, not the black church, not the white church, not the brown church or the yellow, the whole church needs to repent. That's what I say. Sid, I'm not going to add a single word. You said it. I want others to hear it as well. Thank you, sir, for weighing in. That was Sid from Montgomery County, Maryland. Hey, Matt, let's pull that call and let's put it on YouTube for others to hear. And it's a word to black Christians, to white Christians, to all Christians. Thank you. We go to Cassandra in Boston. Cassandra, time is short, so please weigh right in. Yes, hello. Hi. Yes, hi, Dr. Brown. I, I second that, what that gentleman said. So on my point, and I just want to say also, the fact is now everybody's on the war, not realizing they were voting Democratic for, for social issues, whether they were Christians or non-Christians. It didn't matter to them that, you know, the, their, their uh, um, evangelical views w- was mattered at all. So people were just voting for, for Hillary just for social issues. How can I get this? And also don't realizing handouts also is a sin. How can you not? You know, God God is our provider. And they were looking up to a man to be their provider. It's like a savior was coming. And that's why she had the popular vote. So people were relying on this woman coming in and save the world. So, and I pray that as many people are listening... We all need to go back into our knees and pray to God for God to restore what we have lost, which is our faith in Him. So, and I, that yes. gentleman just said something really profound, so that we need to go back to prayer as a church. Yes, we do. God, yes, we do. God is not a liar. And, and Cassandra, what's what's your own? Uh, we're just out of time, but what's your own background? Your own uh, ethnic background or race? One again, God. Got it. All right. Hey, thank you for weighing in. Friends, let's do it. Let's get on our knees and let's say, Lord, here I am. Change me. Use me. Send me. Well, in the midst of all the confusion in which we live, how do we hear the voice of God? It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Michael Brown is the director of the Coalition of Conscience and president of Fire School of Ministry. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Welcome, friends, to the Line of Fire broadcast. This is Michael Brown, your voice of moral sanity and spiritual clarity in the midst of a society and chaos in a church all too often in compromise. We, as God's people, need to step higher. We, as God's people, need to do better than the world. When little children are crying and screaming, the adults need to be a voice of sanity. When there's a fire drill in the school and you realize, wait, this is not a fire drill, this is really a fire, 
and the kids smell the smoke, and they're in elementary school, and they start screaming, and someone says, we're going to die, and they, the teachers need to stay in control and say, everything is fine, kids, just follow me. Come on, everybody in line, follow me. We're going to go outside. We're going to play outside. That's what we as adults have to do right now where our nation is terribly divided, where there are all types of fires of emotion and misunderstanding, uh, we now must step higher as God's people and say, hey, we're going to be reasonable, and we're going to talk, and we're going to interact, and we're going to learn from each other, and we're going to walk in love in the midst of our differences. I am thrilled to be on the air with you today. Someone named Mary wrote this in response to my radio program yesterday, where I emphasize coming together as one in Jesus, where I emphasize learning to listen to each other in the midst of our differences, where I emphasized how we, we have to lay out our differences, but then hear each other out, uh, understand each other's worldview. Um, she said this, I respect you, Dr. Brown, but you are part of the divisiveness you used your platform to encourage Christians to vote for a man who's fine with same-sex marriage, is pro-choice in his heart, no different from Hillary, who hired a white nationalist to lead by his side, doesn't pay taxes, and doesn't like people who don't share his skin tone by evidence of his entourage. You projected so much hate toward the Obamas, the Democrats in general. My spirit would grieve inside me. It was horrible. Have you repented before God? I will leave with this, Psalm 27, 13, and 14. I'm confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I trust in God, and if he kept a record of our wrongs, who would survive, ask for forgiveness, leave politics behind you. Mary, I would disobey God to do what you're telling me to do. I would disobey God. And in all candor and all respect for your comments, and I thank you for having the boldness to, to put out what you believe and be honest about it. For every one comment I receive like that, there are 10 or 15 or 20 or 100 of people thanking me, often with tears, for speaking out and for addressing these issues. And let me tell you, there are plenty of people of color and plenty of people of ethnic minority. I did not have an ounce of hate in my heart to this moment for Barack Obama. I wrote an article a few months back, Do We Have the Love of Christ for Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama? I, I, pers- I, absolutely, I actually like our president's personality and understand even times when he's apologized for America because we haven't always got it right. But I despise some of his policies, and I've spoken out against that. And everything you say about Donald Trump is based on sound bites, based on sound bites. He doesn't like people who don't share his skin tone by evidence of his entourage. That, that is, that's judgmental. That's not Christian to say that. I could say that Barack Obama is a black supremacist because look at all the blacks he appointed to high-level positions, and that's disproportionate to the population. That would be racist and judgmental on my part. And he's not pro-choice. He's not. He's not the same as Hillary. He's not. And I always knew that where he was in same-sex marriage, and I differed with him on that, but I felt he'd be a better candidate. So with great reserve, by the way, I never, ever, ever told anyone to vote for him. I said, I respect if you can't, but don't vote for Hillary Clinton. So I'll do what God called me to do, and I won't repent of it. I won't ask forgiveness for it. I'll ask forgiveness for when I speak amiss or act unwisely or offend unnecessarily. But for speaking the truth in love, no ma'am. And keep doing it. Oh, 
It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks so much for joining us on The Line of Fire broadcast, 866-348-7884, the number to call. Something that is continually on my heart is how we God's people come together in the midst of this volatile season in America. We have such deep passionate, convictional views often run different sides of the page. And how do we unite? How do we do better than the world? And and ultimately, how do we quiet our own souls to get past the, the rhetoric and the rancor of the media and the society around us and even the turmoil of our own hearts? How do we quiet our own selves, slow down, meet with God, and hear God's voice so that we can have his perspective and we can live godly lives in the midst of a society that really needs the church to be the church right now. My guest is Pastor David Chadwick. He's been the pastor of Forest Hill Church in Charlotte, uh, North Carolina, since 1980. When I first moved here uh, with uh, my family and our ministry team in 2003, my wife and I, Nancy, and our ministry team, our organization, our school all moved here. Uh, pastor Chadwick was one of the first pastors that I sat and met with a man of stature in the community for many years, and he's written a new book we're going to talk about today, Hearing the Voice of God. He knows you. He loves you. He's always with you. David, welcome to the Line of Fire. Thank you, Michael. It's a pleasure being with you. Uh, Let me ask you this question before we discuss your book. I I had the joy of being on your uh, radio show, which airs on Sunday mornings on WBT, which is a big station in the greater Charlotte area, and we talked about politics, we talked about cultural issues, but we did so as Christian leaders. Uh, how, how do you feel about that in principle? I'm sure you get uh, opinions on both sides, stay out of politics, stay out of social issues. What do you think the church should do? What have you learned in your own life as far as a fitting role? Well, Michael, uh, I've never seen an election as divisive as this one, and interestingly, this past uh, weekend when I preached to the people God's called me to shepherd, uh, the first thing I began with was some of you feel relief and some of you feel great grief right now. And it's just interesting how this election divided people. And you know, having read many of your articles, you were really concerned about Donald Trump's bombastic words that seemed divisive and misogynistic, even racist at times. But we both looked at Hillary Clinton, and we saw her views on abortion, uh, for example, late-term abortions especially, and also the Democratic platform's plank and her particular belief that uh, people uh, who had LBGTQ beliefs superseded the beliefs of people with religious values, and that, of course, looks like discrimination. So many of us were concerned about both sides of that issue, and in my church, which is generally a, a biblically believing church, uh, we had people on both sides. So I went back and I just did a quick overview since 1980 and how about every eight years there's a turnover in the election, Democrat to Republican, Republican to Democrat, and at each election I had some people who felt relief and some people who felt grief. Mm. And really, Michael, ultimately we've got to find our faith in the Lord. Uh, You know, he used Nebuchadnezzar, and in the Bible you know he's called my servant. He used Cyrus to restore the people to the land, and Cyrus wasn't exactly a paragon of godliness. We're studying 1 Peter right now in my church, and uh, interestingly, he says, honor the emperor, and the emperor during his time was Nero, the very man who killed him some years later. So we've just got to come together and find a common humanity, make love our highest priority while speaking the truth. Uh, 
And then also, I think somehow, some way, we've got to learn humility as the body of Christ, that we don't have all the answers. We go to the Scripture, we find the truth, we stand on it, operate in love, we humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God, and then believe He ultimately will lift us up. Uh, that's uh, my be- brief diatribe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and your, your people came together wanting to hear from you, didn't they? They're feeling yes. almost a need to hear from you. Yes, they did, and there was a real gasp, if I may say, when I traced the history of American elections since 1980 and just showed how every eight years, generally, there's a change of party power. And then I said to everyone, dear friends, do you really put your hope in an election cycle? And I think everybody wanted to hear a message like that. No, our hope is in the name of the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. I I spoke Sunday morning in California to congregations came together, one of them an older white congregation, the other and the larger one a, a young Hispanic congregation. And and then we had some Asian Americans that were there as well. Those would be the, the three predominant groups, some African Americans as well. And I thought, how appropriate. And I was in the Bay Area of California. And uh, and I, I started, bef- they wanted me to talk about revival. That was the theme they wanted me to speak on. But before I started, I said, let me just take a few minutes and give you a perspective on the elections. I even talked about the concept of Donald Trump as a as a divine wrecking ball of sorts and that a wrecking ball can do good or bad and and the political incorrectness and all of this and, and just gave a perspective as to why uh, many evangelicals voted for him, but yet the concerns that we had and so on and, and how to pray and and again, it, it brought people together. And then I even just joked about our different cultural perspectives on things. You know, we had a laugh about it. But people find it helpful, especially from shepherds. And then when we address the controversial social issues, the moral issues, be it uh, same-sex, quote, marriage or abortion, again, this is something people are dealing with, a family member, a friend, a kid in school, social media. They want to know how to respond. So it's not a matter of us getting politicized. It's, it's a matter of us being the church in the midst of culture. Yeah, isn't it interesting that Peter said that judgment begins at the household of God? And if God's going to bring judgment upon America, we who believe in Jesus may want to gasp for a moment. It'll begin with us. And that's what you're saying, Michael, and I couldn't agree more. We've got to learn how to balance grace and truth. Um, you know, grace without truth goes to sloppy liberalism. Yep. But truth without grace goes to rigid self-righteousness, and both are evil, and both cause the church heartache and pain, and Jesus himself. So we've got to learn how to balance both of those and let the world know that we love Jesus, we love one another by this. The world knows that we're, we belong to Jesus, but also speak the truth in such a way that it doesn't alienate. We who believe in Jesus, and especially his word, we evangelicals have lost the ability to communicate with non-hostile language. We've yeah. got to learn how to do that, Michael. Yeah, and, and you've also learned how to do it across generations as well. I've tried, and we <laughs> are a church that has some different ethnicities, and I'm so pleased with that. Uh, we also have different age groups, which I'm pleased with. So I think the more we can come together and the more we can reason, the more we can learn the truth but also operate in love, that's the magnet, I think, that will draw people under our Lord. Yeah, abs- absolutely. All right, your book, Hearing the Voice of God. He knows you, he loves you, he's always with you. It's it's a devotional book. Uh, what prompted you to write this? Well, I was looking for a way for my own devotional life to increase, so I decided to read a couple of verses from the Gospel of John every day for a year. And mm-hmm. then I would just sit in a chair and say, Lord, speak to me through your word. 
because I do believe God speaks to us in various different ways, but primarily through his word. So I would read a couple of verses and then just write several paragraphs what I felt God was saying to me uh, during that intimate time of devotion with him. And after I finished it over about a year's time period, uh, I was in the process of uh, writing a couple of books with Harvest House Publishers, and uh, they asked me what was another book I would be interested in writing, and I sent them this manuscript, and and they loved it. They said, this has a lot of potential. So we shortened it uh, into about a four-month devotional, but it's through the Gospel of John in a four-month reading with abilities to stop, and I try to take what the Lord said to me and put it into words that might help other people have that same kind of way the Lord's speaking to them. All right, we, I, I want to develop this and, and give a few practical thoughts to our listeners. Again, the book written by Pastor David Chadwick, Hearing the Voice of God, He Knows You, He Loves You, He's Always With You. So on the other side of the break, I, I want to lay out just a couple of practical principles that people would get when they read the book. But just take a minute to explain the importance of the subtitle, He Knows You, He Loves You, He's Always With You. Well, Jesus said in John ten twenty seven, Michael, that my sheep hear my voice. I mean, that's just a clear statement. I don't know how much clearer he could have been, and he wants to speak to us. So what are the ways that he speaks to us? Uh, you know, and I think it's through his character. Uh, in order to understand God, you need to understand his character. If you need to understand his character, then you'll begin to hear his voice. So those subtitles on the front cover of the book, are ways of identifying the character of God through Jesus. It's like God said, if you want to know who I am, here I am in human flesh. This is who, who I want you to be as well. And we hear his voice telling us in Christ how much he loves us, how much he cares for us, how much he's with us, how he'll never forsake us or desert us. And those are special, precious promises that allow us to get through every practical day of our lives. So as you learn how to read Jesus in his word, you can hear his voice speaking to you primarily of his great love, his great devotion, his great care, and his wonderful presence. All right, friends, the book by David Chadwick, Hearing the Voice of God, He Knows You, He Loves You, He's Always With You. We come back, I want to ask a couple of questions. One, how can I distinguish between the voice of God and my own mind? And and, and two, what are some of the most common hindrances to believers hearing the voice of God. Friends, if there's ever a time when we need to hear the voice of God, when the world's going crazy around us, this is where we settle our hearts, get before the Lord, and say, Father, I'm your son, I'm your daughter. I've often said to the Lord, I'm just an ignorant sheep. I need to hear from the shepherd. It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. In the midst of this volatile election season, we want to calm our hearts and step back, get before the Lord, and learn to hear his voice. My guest, Pastor David Chadwick, actually played basketball for Dean Smith. I've got to ask him about this. Uh, We've got listeners all over North Carolina right now the legendary Dean Smith, and even wrote about leadership principles from Dean Smith. So before we're done, I've got to ask, I have to ask a question about that. Uh, but but David, a common question, I remember when my daughters first asked me this as little girls, Daddy, how do I know if this is my mind or the devil or Jesus? How do I tell the difference? Obviously, we know God speaks to us through through the scriptures, but we, we also know according to the scriptures 
that there are other ways that he can speak us and, and, and speak to us and lead us. Are there practical ways that we can learn to, to discern God's voice? Yeah, there really are, Michael. First of all, you've just got to have a heart that is seeking totally the Lord and his will. Um, you, you can't put your radio dial one notch off the station and hope to hear the voice clearly. Uh, similarly, you've got to have your heart totally focused on the Lord, your heart dialed into his, and say, Lord, speak to me today. And I really believe that's the first thing you've got to do. And then secondly, you, you need to make sure there's no willful sin in your life. You know, we all have sin, and sadly, sometimes we don't even know it. But when there's willful sin that we are committing, that garbles the voice of God and doesn't allow us to hear his voice well. Also in 1 Peter 3, 7, for husbands, it says if they're not honoring their wives, and the word honor means prize, value, uh, considered to be something of extraordinary honor in your life. Uh, if you're not doing that with your wife, your prayers can be hindered, the Bible says. So for husbands listening right now, make sure that you are prizing and valuing your life, your wife above all else. Uh, also, things like worry and pride and fear can garble that voice. So just got to make sure when you sit down with a heart that is totally fixed on him, that really is desiring to love him and love your neighbor, then you say, Lord, I eliminate my pride, my worry, because I'm depending all on you, and I'm giving you these next moments. And then, Michael, when you wipe all of that clean and focus on the Lord, I think that allows your ability to hear the Lord's voice more ably. So in, in your book, Hearing the Voice of God, you you lay out principles, you give scripture, and, and then in a devotional setting, you give examples. Uh, do, you, do you find that God speaks to people in different ways, and we have to learn the unique way that the Lord communicates with us? Well, I think so. But uh, on the other hand, I would say that there are impressions that God gives us when we're reading his word, a sense of leading, a sense of prompting. Mm -hmm. that are probably common to the human heart and to the human experience. Uh, so I don't think he would change that up so much, Michael. Um, I do think, though, that as you read the Scripture, you've got to be careful about those impressions and make sure they're not your own lustful desires. Right. But that will be consistent with Scripture, and you'll be able to see throughout the entire Bible that a major theme is really what you're getting at when God is speaking to you. What what about those who say, but you're adding to the Bible, God has already spoken, the final revelation is in his Son, in the Word, you're adding to the Bible when you talk about hearing the voice of God. I, I find it to be a very misguided objection, but, but not an uncommon one. How do you respond? Well, I would take people to the basic principles of how to hear the voice of God in the Scripture that have been in existence for 2,000 years, and, and here are a few of them. You know, first of all, that first impression, that guidance from the Lord through His Holy Spirit in His Word is always something the Lord uses. Also, I would say, look for the ways it's repeated throughout the Bible. There is uh, what the Reformed Christian uh, guides said was the perspicuity of Scripture, the clarity of Scripture. And as you read a certain truth, you'll see that truth repeated consistently in a clear way throughout the entire Scriptures. Also, another way of interpreting the Scripture is you always interpret the Old Testament with the New Testament, and you interpret the Gospels with the Epistles. 
And as you see in an Old Testament passage, for example, it being understood clearly in the New Testament, especially the teachings of Jesus and the apostles, you can rest fairly assured that you're hearing the voice of God consistently through the Scripture. And finally, Michael, I would encourage everyone to not read Scripture alone, not only in their life groups and their communities where they read the Scripture, but read Scripture along with 2,000 years of church history. You know, it's Scripture alone that is our authority, but we're never intended to read the Scripture alone outside of Tertullian and Justin Martyr and Augustine and all the great reformers and teachers and theologians and uh, pastors throughout church history. And as we hear their voice as well, we can rest assured that we're probably interpreting a, a Scripture passage accurately when all of those folks agree on its truth. Got it. And friends, again, to have this broken down, bite-sized form, four-month devotional with inspiration, encouragement, biblical direction, the book Hearing the Voice of God, He Knows You, He Loves You, He's Always With You by Pastor David Chadwick. David, we've, we've just got a couple of minutes, but your basketball experience, playing under the legendary Dean Smith, uh, leadership principles, you learn. Can, can you just share a nugget with us uh, for our listeners? Yeah, I, I would say that Coach Smith's uh, greatest leadership ability rested in his uh, belief that he was, as a coach, desiring to serve others more than being served. I mean, he was a Christian himself. He practiced Mark 10:45, and I can remember one player got into a campus altercation, uh, got locked up. Uh, many people said he shouldn't start him in the next game. It was a big game. Coach Smith started him anyway. Uh, they lost the big game. After the game was over, a friend of mine was in the locker room and got on Coach Smith and said, Coach, you shouldn't have started him. You shouldn't have played him so much. We lost that game because you were so loyal to him. And Coach Smith looked at this guy and he said, I'll tell you something. This kid's sense of self-worth for the rest of his life is far more important to me than winning a stupid Atlantic Coast Conference basketball game. Mm. And, Michael, that's who he was. He, he cared for us as people, uh, not as uh, objects to be used for his own success. If there's one quality that I would point to about Dean Smith that made him such a great coach is we who played for him knew he really cared for us as people first. He wasn't using us for his own glory, and we would run through brick walls for him because of that. And that's obviously influenced the way you lead your church. Exactly. I mean, Coach Smith really had three principles that I talk about in the book I wrote about him called It's How You Play the Game. And uh, the three principles are people are first, the team is first, and you've got to lead with integrity and character. And that was him, and that's what I've adopted in my church. I've led this way for 36 years, and I think it's a pretty doggone good way to lead. <laughs> amazing, amazing. All right, when we get together, I've got to ask you more, more questions about that as well. But, but thanks for what you do. Thanks for your, your faithful witness for these decades uh, in, in uh, Charlotte and beyond, and for your voice as an author. The new book, Hearing the Voice of God, He Knows You, He Loves You, He's Always With You by Pastor David Chadwick. Thanks for joining me. Much appreciated. Thank you, Michael, and for all your listeners, remember, God's still on our throne. Amen. Amen. All right. Uh, God sits enthroned as king while the world is going crazy. Step back. Read Psalm 2. Step back. Read Psalm 46. Calm your heart. Whatever your frame of mind is, even if it's something completely unrelated to the state of the nation, the elections, just bad news hit. Bad news, health, finance, personal Hits people every single day. God is still God. And if you're his child, he's working on your behalf. Step back and worship him as God. Take a deep breath and say, God, you're king, you're my father. I'm going to bow down before you. He'll turn evil for good.
It's The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. A lot of people are afraid. They're really afraid. African Americans think there's a target on their back. Muslims are terrified. I think it's horrible if that's happening. I think it's built up by the press because, frankly, they'll take every single little incident that they can find in this country, which could have been there if I weren't even around doing this, and they'll make it into an event because that's the way the press is. I am going to be a broken record. Yours truly, Michael Brown. I'm going to be a broken record, and I'm going to say it again. Let's sit down and talk to each other. Find someone in the Lord in particular, but just find someone that you know who is <clears throat> who is not of your color or not of your ethnicity or not of your socioeconomic background. Sit down with that person and ask them, hey, How did you vote, and how do you feel about things now? And you may be shocked to hear their perspective. You may have never recognized someone not of your gender. You may may have never recognized how the world looks to them, how the world sounds to them, how they perceive things to you. Uh, Someone, uh, how they perceive things, period. Uh, Someone made the comment that, uh, that those who voted for Trump take him seriously, but not literally. Those who opposed his presidency take him literally, but not seriously. And what we have to find out is, okay, when you voted, what were you voting for? What were you voting against? I had the pleasure of speaking this weekend to a multi-ethnic group of people because it was two congregations coming together I spoke in a largely Hispanic congregation together with a largely older white congregation with Asian Americans there. Talked about it on the broadcast yesterday. And, uh, you know, we, we talked in the car, different ones. We talked over lunch, driving to and from the airport about lots of different issues, mainly gospel issues, but also about the volatility of what's happening right now in the society and, and, and how believers say, I can't believe you voted for this, but I can't believe you did this. Well, How are we going to grow? We're going to grow and we're going to be the body of Christ by listening to each other, not talking past each other. Listen, I'm a debater. Okay. It's, it's just my nature. It's, it's the way God made me, what he called me to do, my upbringing. It's, it's who I am, a New York Jew, son of a lawyer. But if, if I sit down with someone I differ with, uh, my goal, yeah, I, I want them to, let's say I'm sharing the gospel. Of course I want them to hear the gospel. But let's say I'm talking with someone who I, you know, I realize is, is, identifies as gay or lesbian. I, I want them to tell me their story. Well, I, I want to better understand their world, and I want to better understand how they see the church and how they see people like me. Then, of course, I want to reach them with the gospel. But I want to better understand where they're coming from, what their perspective is. Uh, I have been enriched by, by callers who are of different background than me that have helped me to see the world through their eyes. 
Look, it's one thing for me to write off a lot of what an Al Sharpton says as race-baiting rhetoric. It's another thing when I have a lot of God-fearing, respectful African-American callers talk about their concerns and their life experience. I, I take that very seriously. It's, it's one thing if there's some radical protester who's maybe a paid activist shouting slogans on a street corner. It's another thing when it's, it's your neighbor who goes to the same congregation you do and says, hey, I think you're missing something here. I think you don't understand what's happening. So will we do it? Will we be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger? Come on, let's come together. And I want to ask some relevant questions to my friend James Robison, who's been close with Donald Trump through the elections and, and who's not ever endorsing a candidate. I want to ask him some interesting questions. It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown, your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks so much for joining us again as we now talk exactly one week after the elections. The goal always to be redemptive, always to glorify Jesus, always to learn from each other, to be quick to speak and to be, uh, excuse me, to be slow to speak and to be quick to hear and to be slow to anger. 866-348-7884. I just want to replay clip number 14 and then bring on my guest, James Robison. So, J.J., clip number 14, Donald Trump being interviewed by Leslie Stahl. One of the groups that's uh, expressing fear is the LBGTQ group. Um, And yet I mentioned them at the Republican National Convention. And everybody said, that was so great. Um, I have been, you know, I've been a a supporter. All right. Um, My dear friend, James Robinson, has had an open door to Donald Trump, uh, a door that influenced me in terms of how I'd approach things and look at things in the election. Uh, James, as always, welcome back to the line of fire. It's been quite a week, has it not? Well, it has, and uh, I talked to Mr. Trump right after the 60 minutes went off. I thought the family handled it well. I thought he overall was just excellent. Uh, I did think that he could have uh, handled that particular question better, And but, but knowing him for seven months, uh, and I would just say to those who did see the program or might watch it online, the demeanor that you saw in him uh, was the demeanor that I've been seeing for seven months. He's treated me with just indescribable respect and gratitude and uh, tenderness. And, uh, and and I found uh, over the months that what I've been sowing, is I'm getting to see the fruit of it more than others who are on the outside of seeing it. And I think that'll come. But, you know, I, I was disappointed in the way he handled that. I, was, I did understand that, that he loves uh, the people that he knows in that community. Uh, as parents love their children who may be uh, having a challenge there, but they don't even, in many instances, even call it a challenge. They, they say the rest of us are challenged for saying they have a challenge. But the point is that, that he's speaking with a, a, a real love. And when you see him hit people so hard uh, that he disagrees with, and you wonder, well, why is he being so loving toward them? I think somehow he has sensed that they've been bullied and, and uh, ostracized uh, for being challenged or defending their position. 
And I think that he wants to be a peacemaker there, but I believe that he understands marriage, even though he's got failed marriages. Uh, and I, because I know he regrets the fact that he, he didn't handle those marriages well. So I think we're just going to have to watch it to walk out. And I'm, I'm, I thought your article today on the stream was excellent. And uh, that is the way I talk to him in person and will continue to. And for seven months, he has continued to uh, invite me there. And four times since he's been elected, we've talked. And uh, it's always been just amazing. So now, I, I'm, believing, I'm believing we're going to succeed in, in seeing him continue to grow in understanding how to approach some of these challenges. And you feel that he's genuinely pro-life now? There's no question about it. Even my testimony amazed him, and, and really it was a testimony like mine that first made him reconsider what God could do with somebody, and there was every reason, it seemed, to get rid of me. Uh, Hillary Clinton would have never allowed me to be born. The current uh, Supreme Court law would have terminated my life, and I have at least contributed a few positive things, Dr. Brown, since I've been on this earth for 73 years. So uh, that that really got his attention. I think he's absolutely, Kellyanne is 100%. Uh, there, the, the Pence is, and the others, and so I think that I just think he's there. I will be shocked, disappointed. Anytime I see him go against the people that put him in office and against the Republican platform uh, that's so principled and against the things that, that I have shared with him faithfully as his faith counsel also, I will absolutely uh, be very, very forceful in uh, calling for a change. He, he just simply can't do that. I remember when you forwarded an email to me that you had written to someone high up on his campaign team when the idea had been floated, secondary, even tertiary sources, saying that he was thinking of having this openly gay colleague as a Supreme Court justice. And I, I remember you wrote and said plainly, you shared it with me, then you wanted to see. It was very clear to the point, if you do that, you will lose the election. And they wrote back immediately, a complete rumor, unfounded, we will appoint justices that we have on our list. So I, I, I know you've stood true there. But you, you shared something very interesting with me uh, over the phone last night, and, and I want to share it with our listeners. I think it's really helpful. Obviously, we want to see laws change. We want to see Roe v. Wade overturned, and that would put the abortion issue back in the states we want to see the redefinition of marriage changed by the courts obviously there are a million questions and implications that come out of that but you talked about changing hearts before laws can be effectively changed i think it's so important that we grasp that please share that with my listening audience well i think that if you're lawless uh, you, you pay no attention to the law and I think people that have convinced themselves that if a pregnancy inconveniences them, however it came about, uh, that they have a right to terminate that life. Uh, and I think that, uh, you know, if you're going to protect a person's personal rights, how do you not protect the personal rights of the most helpless, uh, defenseless uh, human beings on the planet? And that's the life in the womb. And so what, what if you did reverse Roe versus Wade, this anger that just poured in venom out of the mouth of Hillary Clinton while she's campaigning, that the church, Catholics, uh, evangelicals are going to have to get over it. Uh, you've got to get over this, uh, the right of a woman to take the life of a child. In other words, in this instance, uh, the terminating of an innocent life is perfectly appropriate. And there's a, there's a hostility and anger that comes up in her and has for you know, 20 years or more that I've been listening to her, all the way back to her husband's days. And, and you watch the women demanding these rights. There's a 
there's an anger that causes the Ku Klux Klan to pale in comparison to the hostility and determination to terminate a life. And so if you don't change that woman's heart, uh, she would uh, do whatever's necessary to kill that child, even if you reverse Roe versus Wade. So bad laws need to be corrected. There's no question about it. They need to be changed. But the church has to focus on changing the heart, because even if you have a law that permits something that's not wise, wise people won't do it. If you understand the value of life, you won't terminate that life. If you know that devaluing any life devalues potentially every life, then you're not going to allow that to happen because you have a heart change. Uh, You never would have believed we could outlaw smoking in public places. Uh, You know, it started in some small settings like airplanes. But once the people knew that you were, in fact, not only dangering, uh, having danger to your own health, but you were actually putting other people's health in danger, then the mind change and the heart change made it easy to where we have entire cities now where you don't smoke outside, you don't smoke in public. It would have never happened if you hadn't changed the hearts and the minds about it. And I, and I just say, change the law, yes. But if you didn't change the heart and mind, this is not good. Uh, where people wouldn't tolerate the smoking anymore because they're convinced their minds change, their hearts change. We really need to look at these issues uh, as with marriage. We we have seen marriage collapse because commitment means nothing. The mm-hmm. covenant relationship means nothing. And we've got to get back to understanding what this is really all about. It's a total commitment for life. So on the one hand, we want President-elect Trump as president to share our heart more fully on this and to recognize the importance of referring marriage as the union of one man and one woman. And hopefully, uh, if he does appoint pro-life justices, constitutional justices, that they will ultimately vote in a favorable way in religious liberty cases and even marriage cases as well. But our job is to turn hearts, right? Our, we, we want to influence the president, but our job is to influence hearts right now in terms of the meaning of marriage. Well, see, what they've done with this ridiculous law on marriage, they have debunked two aspects of the First Amendment, the right of Christians and preachers to have free speech, and then the free exercise of religion. In other words, you just can't carry your religious beliefs outside the church doors. You keep those inside those closed quarters. You can't really care about the value of life and the value of marriage. Don't dare address that, or you'll be a homophobe. And, and you will be uh, a hate monger and so forth. This is absurd. The Supreme Court, in passing this ridiculous law, has negated two. And by the way, after I spoke to Mr. Trump, uh, President-elect Trump, on Sunday night after 60 minutes, the last thing he said to me when I was talking about how we had to address things, he said, oh, James, you must know, I'm going to restore the freedom to the pulpit. We're going to get rid of that uh, Johnson Amendment. We're going to do that. the last thing he said to me. And here he is knowing he's talking to someone. When I'm proclaiming the Word of God, it's actually going to address some of the things he said. But see, I don't have a mean spirit toward him. I have, I have love for this man, yeah. love for his man. Matter of fact, I sowed this thought, Michael. I said, I want to sow the thought that you ask God, let's work together to see you help the American people become a family like yours, where they love one another, they're dedicated to one another, they have a unity in the family, and they're working for the good of every other family, and they're working for the benefit of freedom. And I thank you for doing that. Let's get the American people to do it. Yeah, what, what a vision. What a vision. My dear brother, thank you for your redemptive heart. May God continue to use you to influence our president-elect. Thanks so much. 
God bless you. God bless you. Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. I'm, I'm a sm- smiling because I'm looking at uh, this uh, little folder I have where I'll throw some things in if I spot them online or my staff sends to me, you know, the latest uh, attack on me for varied reasons. And, you know, I'm just looking at the summary of Christian from money, a blind hypocrite, not an anointed Holy Ghost man, a uh, coward and a liar, a hypocrite with evil tactics. My days are numbered. Shame on me. I'm a wolf, extreme rightist, uh, and, and on and on it goes. And what, what's interesting, what's interesting is that that comes with the turf when you do your best to speak the truth in love. That comes with the turf when you address controversial issues. Um, <laughs> how much is Lord Cheeto, meaning Donald Trump, paying you to write such a silly article uh, where where I talk about oh, where where I am warning people about consequences of voting for Hillary Clinton? Everybody's got to read some, not everybody, some people have to read some ulterior motivation as opposed to the fear of the Lord, love for people, love for truth, love for the church, refusal to compromise. That's what fuels my fire. And the day that I take money to espouse a position and it changes my position is the day you can call me out. By God's grace, it ain't going to happen. But here's why we're going to keep speaking. Here's why we're going to keep addressing controversial issues. Here's why we're going to speak things that some are going to misunderstand. One reason is, never please the critics. Never please all the critics. If I please the critics on one side, then I'll upset the critics on the other side. So I'm trying to please the Lord and serve people, not please critics. Where a critic has constructive criticism, I'll learn by it and grow so I can better please the Lord and better serve people. But I'm going to keep speaking because the needs are great and because there's a lot of confusion. And I know it because everywhere I go, people come up to thank me for addressing difficult issues, be they political, moral, cultural, spiritual. They're appreciative because this is the world they live in. This is the... It's it's almost like you're in a hospital and the doctors don't want to discuss the latest uh, cure that's that's being put forward for a certain disease because it's controversial. And people are well, people are dying in the meantime. They need to know, does this work or doesn't it? So here's something from a woman named Penny. My daughter just started working as an RN in an MA hospital, I guess Massachusetts hospital, in the mother-infant unit. In orientation... She was told that the cards of the bassinets are now green. No boy or girl. They also were instructed not to say mother or father to the parents because they might be transgender. What? All for a tiny portion of the population. I told her to proceed with her usual respect and sensitivity to her patients, the vast majority uh, who are not concerned about the silliness and are proud to be mom and dad of their boy or girl. If new parents object, she can honestly respect the request to change how they are addressed, but that her medical care and documentation must reflect accurate medical terms and observations. Anything less could put the health of the family at risk. 
do the right thing, respectfully, lovingly, honestly. Who knew we would have this conversation? By the way, I've been a practicing nurse since 1976. For those that say the conservatives are uneducated and ignorant, how about a master's of science degree, magna cum laude, just fact. Most of those years as a perinatal clinical nurse specialist, heartbreak. How can you address these issues? Someone's going to be hurt. Because people are being hurt every day by our failure to address the issues. I, I just spoke with a pastor with a leading church in Charlotte, North Carolina. And he began his Sunday morning service by saying, this is his first Sunday after the elections, a lot of you are feeling relief and a lot of you are feeling grief because they have different age groups and they have different ethnicities in the congregation. And even among the same age groups and the same ethnicities, people would have voted differently. And I said, they needed you to do that, didn't they? He said, yes. So, so pastors, leaders, it's not a matter of us getting politically divisive and, and waving the banner of a, of a party in our midst. It's not the matter of us selling our souls to a candidate the way we give our lives to Jesus. No, it's a matter of being responsible shepherds. Parents, don't you have to talk to your kids about these issues? They come up in the media. They come up on social media. Uh, years back, I was working out in the gym and had a trainer there. And he said to me, his son said to him the other day, Daddy, why is that man holding hands with another man? He said, I didn't know what to tell him. I said, just tell him, pray for them. They're confused. Well, they may be offended by that. Well, that's a dad's responsibility to the kid. His responsibility is not to answer his kid in a way that's politically correct, but to answer his kid in a way that's responsible. When a pastor texts me and says, what do I do? We had a transgender man come to our service wearing a dress. We welcomed him. We loved on him, but we found out he was using the ladies' room. What do we do? I said, next time he comes, have an usher go out, up to him, say, we're so glad that you're here. Uh, but we don't want you to feel uncomfortable. We don't want the ladies to feel uncomfortable. So if you have to use a restroom during the service, just let me know or let one of the other ushers know, and we'll take you over to a private bathroom. What are you going to do? This is life. And today, with charges flying every day of racism and sexism, with with people equating Donald Trump with Adolf Hitler, and, and some really fearing for their lives, are we going to ignore these things or are we going to address them constructively? So it's my job as my calling. I don't mean my hired job by man. I mean my calling from God to be a voice of moral sanity and spiritual clarity in the midst of confusion and chaos and compromise. And by God's grace, I'm going to be faithful to that. Thank you for your many words of love, support, and encouragement and thank you for standing with us. It would sure mean a lot to you if you're listening to the show and you say, you know, I enjoy this broadcast. I've been listening for months, for years, but I've never sent anything in. We're listener-supported. If you haven't sent something in, that probably means we have a need that hasn't been met, and your gift will help meet that need. So if the Lord's prompting you, this is not for me. This is not for my team. This is for radio so that we can continue to broadcast and do what we're doing. Stand with us today. Go to our website, thelineoffire.org. Go to my radio website, thelineoffire.org. Click on Donate. You can find out about all the benefits of being a monthly a monthly torchbearer. We sow back into you every single month in so many different ways as you stand with us with at least a dollar 
a day uh, per month, so $30 or more per month. So thank you for your solidarity and support. If you'd like to give a one-time tax-deductible year-end gift, your generous gift is warmly appreciated. Just go to thelineoffire.org and click on Donate. While you're there, just a reminder, because of the great response we got to the pre-order of the book that Nancy and I wrote on Breaking the Stronghold of Food. We've extended that just a few more days. You'll be able to get the book in time for Christmas. It will be a collector's edition, numbered and signed by Nancy and me. And this book literally could be the, the thing that helps set you free from a lifetime of food addictions and unhealthy eating and all the consequences of it. Again, all that is at thelineoffire.org. My bottom line is this. It is not a time for silence. It is a time to go before God, hear his voice, and share that with the world.